This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. All right. If you got your Bible with you this morning, if you would open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in the fourth chapter this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. The, the title of this morning's message, as you'll see on the screen, is Light After Darkness. Uh, many of the songs that we've sung this morning is based upon the grace of God, uh, based upon the fact that He can take our, us in our failure, He can take us within our weakness, and that our true treasure within life is not based upon the physical. Our true treasure in life is Christ Jesus Himself. And so the, the morning's message is going to be very simple and it's going to be clinging. My goal this morning is to communicate a desire within our hearts to cling to Christ and then embrace our weakness. Let's begin reading here, verse 7. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's read that again. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and So we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and um, we possess need. We need your grace. We need your presence. Our very livelihoods, Lord, depend upon you. Father, we come before you this morning desiring your forgiveness. Father, we know we are prone to wander. How wretched and foolish we are and that your grace is so amazing. But Lord, thank you for your, uh, your patience and your long-suffering. Thank you for your consistency when it seems as if no one else or nowhere else in the world can we find consistency. We find it within you. Lord, help us this morning in the few brief moments that we have to glorify your name, to remind ourselves from your word of the fact that we're not all that, but you are everything. You are the goodness 
that we yearn for. We lift these things to you and we pray them in your name. Amen. I'll be honest, in the, this past week as I've been studying this text, it's been quite a battle. Uh, a lot of this text delves into the matter of weakness. I was laughing earlier with uh, Paul Horn and I was telling Miguel, I, I'm a kind of guy where I'm an illustrative mind and I like to think through illustrations and you know, in uh, my 10 years of doing uh, youth ministry, I, I have a way that I write out a sermon and I'll have my three points and I'll have an illustration at the beginning and an illustration at the end. And this week I kind of had my illustration at the beginning and an illustration at the end. And I got to last night and I looked at Brittany, I was like, this just doesn't fit. Like, what am I doing? I, and I was trying to force it. I said, but this is the way I usually do. And it was like the Lord was kind of putting up a stop sign and saying, we can't just make light matter of weakness. There's no reason for us to, to beat around the bush, but to, to be honest, we need to probably tackle it head on as we begin here this morning. And I began thinking in my mind last night, how do you illustrate weakness? How do we illustrate the battles that we each face? You know, I was thinking, how do we communicate something that within weakness that is oftentimes very personal? Something we're really not willing to own up to or we're afraid if we really show our hand, we could be exposed as not being enough. How do we discuss something that's painful, that I hurt, but I realize somebody else probably is not going to understand my pain. Therefore, we become fearful of the pain that we face or how do we communicate something that is so overwhelming that nobody does truly understand. If we're honest this morning, our, our weakness, our brokenness is not going to be understand, understood by each other. There's things that you're facing personally right now that I maybe from an outer sphere could begin to glean of, but I will never truly understand what you're going through. Even between uh, within our world, the relationship even of a, a husband and a wife. There's certain things that a husband may go through and the wife may be so close, but she's still not going to fully know everything that's rolling through the mind. So what does this do? What does this produce within us? A fear. We run away from weakness and we say, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through hardship. This is too difficult for me. I've looked in my own life in the past couple years, out of the blue, there was some struggles that I began to face with anxiety, which kind of was overlapped by struggles with apathy at times. Waking up in the, in the mornings and feeling a sense of like, what is my purpose? I sense nothingness. Moments of anxiety where I was like, oh man, I feel completely weird right now and I don't even know understand how to explain it or I don't understand it. I feel weak. I don't like it. I've had to learn that I can't depend on myself during those times. Some of us in the room this morning, there could be some of you that are going through battles of depression or self-depreciation where you just struggle to get your, your footing within life. Discouragement regularly just continues to knock on your door and it senses, it, it de develops within you a sense of an overwhelming nature. There's some of us this morning that, in this room that could be battling illness. 
and you realize that it's taken the, the days away from your physical life. It produces fear. You feel weak. You feel insufficient. You feel like it's slipping away. The aching pains that weakness brings. It can't be illustrated. But we know it and we feel it. And here's the battle and this is what I'd like to, to, for us to tackle this morning is weakness is not a bad thing. It's not bad to sense weakness. It's not bad to feel insufficient. It's not a, it's not, you're not a failure for feeling as if everything is sliding away. And I, the reason we're looking into 2 Corinthians this morning is if we want to look at somebody that really experienced weakness, brokenness, hurt, difficulty, we, we can look no far, farther than the Apostle Paul. If you want to turn with me real quickly to 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul here goes through a laundry list, and I thought it would be good for us to start there before we jump into chapter 4 that we're going to look at this morning as he kind of works his way through this battle with weakness. He goes through a laundry list of sufferings that he's experienced. What he's up against here within Corinth is there were these super apostles, these people that were coming in and they were speaking to the Corinthian church and they were saying, don't follow after that guy Paul. Look how broken his life is. He's always thrown in jail or he's getting beaten. There's no way the Spirit of God could be in that man. And they would boast, they'd say, well, I've had visions of grandeur. I've, I've seen the Lord and I've been in his presence and, and I've had signs and wonders happen. And there were people that were kind of beginning to gravitate in that direction and what was happening is Paul's ministry was being discounted. I don't follow after him. He's, he's a mess. Look how weak that man is. There's no reason for you to follow after him. And you look at it this morning, what is the theme of 2 Corinthians? Really, it could be communicated in this way. It's Paul communicating the balance between his intense sufferings and hardship, which he was being criticized for, and then the presence and the power of the Spirit in his life, ministry, and message. He is, he is defending his ministry within the Scripture. This is about as raw as you will see Paul get within his writings as within 2 Corinthians as he defends his ministry. So 2 Corinthians 11, this is what he says. He goes through this laundry list here. We'll begin with uh, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. It's interesting. Paul knows he's about to, in a way, kind of boast in what he's been through, but he's like, as I say this, I'm not doing it to brag. I... I feel like a madman. I feel crazy as I say this. I, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm trying to boast. He goes on. He says, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers. Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And I love verse 28, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He was so concerned with his, his people. 
In verse 29, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to, to fall and I am not indignant? And then verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul boasted within his weakness. So this morning, we got to kind of deconstruct for us. We talked about many of us in the room this morning are facing weakness. I don't know what it may be for, for you, but we all face it because we're weak, we're human, we're frail. We're fading away as we're going to talk about this morning. Due to our sinful estate, due to our sinful flesh, we are fading. But what we want to see this morning is that we have hope within Christ Jesus. But the, the, the key component that we oftentimes miss is this, is that we don't want to have to deal with our weakness to get to him. We don't want to remember the fact that he was made weak and he suffered for us that we might have life. We don't want to deal with the fact, like he said in 2 Corinthians 5, where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Instead of us trying to preserve what's wasting away, we need to start owning up to the fact that we're not all that. Our weakness is a reminder of that there's got to be something more and that something more is Christ. As we go through the battles of weakness, we can remember the fact that he's the one that's going to shine through. So my question this morning is, how are we handling pain, difficulty, confusion, and change? Are we allowing it to control us? Are we trying to run away from our weakness and hide it so that nobody will see that we're not all that? Or are we trusting in the Lord and finding him as our true definition? We don't actively look for ways to hide and prevent the, our weakness. We have to embrace it. We must not view weakness as our flaw or lacking as our detriment. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. So here's the first point I want us to see this morning is we kind of try to deconstruct within our mind that our weakness is bad. I have to hide it. I have to run away from it. I don't want to show my hand. I don't want people to know that I'm suffering. I don't want to be overwhelmed by the fears that my weakness is developing within me. I want to learn how to have hope amidst it. So here's the first point this morning is in verse 7 through 12, we find there is riches, there are riches amidst ruin. 7 through 12, there are riches amidst ruin. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. I think for us this morning, we probably ought to stop and think about for a second, what is my treasure? What is my true treasure within life? Now, most of us could fire off pretty quickly. Well, yeah, Jesus is my treasure. He's the one that, that I cling to. But then if we were to stop and look at our life, our life would perhaps communicate something otherwise. When you break down what Paul is saying here, you're seeing the fact that the treasure obviously is being Christ and this clay jar that he's discussing here is our flesh. To understand the basis of the treasure, we don't have to look any farther than the two verses that come before it. And if you were to look back a little bit, this will not be on the screen, but in verse five and six, let's look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6. This defines the nature of this treasure. We know that the treasure is Jesus, but what is the depth behind what he's saying here? Verse 5 says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. So yet again, he's saying, I'm not coming before you to proclaim myself. 
I don't want you to look at me and think that I'm all that and that I'm, I've had great experiences with God that you've never had. He's saying, I'm not claiming myself, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light, God the Father has shown within the hearts of the faithful, within the hearts of the believer, within the hearts of the saints, the light of Jesus Christ. Going back into our title of the morning's message, darkness may seem to confine us, but there is light after darkness, that light being Jesus Christ. You see, back to verse seven, the treasure being in jars of clay, it's interesting to stop and and ponder for a second. Well, what did a, a jar of clay denote? The term vessel or clay denoted fragility, inferiority, and expendability. Something that could be simply tossed to the side. Didn't possess much worth. The beautiful part of that is within that inferiority, which is our fleshly bodies, we see that Paul understood this fact that I have a treasure, that treasure being the light of Christ that is within me. What does he say at the end of verse 7? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. These super apostles that were his opponents were trying to say, well, the surpassing power has to belong to us. We've got to be seen as efficient and, and sufficient. We have to be the ones that are, that are leading the way. And Paul's saying, the surpassing power doesn't belong to me. It was interesting this morning, I was actually studying that, that term treasure. Within the Greek language, it, it refers to a storehouse. I started thinking to myself, well, what does that denote for us as we look at that and we start saying we have a treasure for those of us that are the faithful within here today that we were seeking to follow after Christ with, with our lives. We've surrendered before him. What we have in that treasure is truly a storehouse of all things good. He has given to us all things that denote to life and godliness. It's all within him. So if we're looking for peace, if we're looking for purity, if we're looking for acceptance, if we're looking for belonging, you're not going to produce that within your clay vessel. We're not capable of it. The beautiful part of the good news is what he says in verse 6 has shown into the heart what is placed within us. That is a storehouse of all things good. So in our time of need, we immediately remind ourselves within there's a treasure that goodness, that, that place that we can turn to and know that we can have all that we truly need. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. This kind of talks about how God functions within his economy. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God is in the business of using small and broken things to accomplish his purposes. Why? So that he'd be seen as glorified, that he would be exalted. It's not about us. It's all about him. He is the fullness. You go into verse 8 and 9, Paul starts going through what we just learned in 2 Corinthians 11. He starts talking about the hardship that he's faced. He talks in verse 8. He says he's been afflicted. He says he's been perplexed. Verse 9, he's been persecuted. He's been struck down. But he didn't stop there. 
Paul's not writing to them as if, woe is me. I've been through so much hard stuff. You know anybody that likes to do the woe is me? I do it. My wife probably takes most of that. (laughs) Um, We like to say our hurts, to try to get attention in hopes of that we'll get something in return. But with Paul here, he's not just spilling a laundry list of woe is me. He's, He's saying, I've been afflicted in every way, but not. Key words there being, but not crushed. I've been afflicted in every way, but I've not been crushed. He says in 2 Corinthians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says when he was in Asia, he was suffering to the point, he's like, I despaired of life itself. He was human. You look at uh, his interactions with the, the church at Corinth. He administered to them, and he went away for a while, and then he found out after he had sent Timothy that the church was in disarray, and he went back and pretty much got ridiculed for it. He was like, it was a painful visit. It was difficult, I believe. It was chapter 2 where he says that. So he's been through this affliction, but he says, I wasn't crushed by it. It It didn't do me in. He goes on and he says, I was perplexed. You think, well, what does perplexion mean? It's confusion. He was driven to to seeming wit's end. He was confused, but he said, but I wasn't driven to despair. So it's basically like I was stressed, but I I wasn't stressed out. He faced discouragement. He may not have known, but he knew he was known by the Lord. My favorite one here is he was persecuted, but he said, I wasn't forsaken. My mind gravitated to to Christ Jesus on the cross, Mark 15. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul, as he's going through persecution, he remembers, I will not be forsaken. My Savior was forsaken. And he rose again. He's where my life is found. I may be persecuted, but I am not forsaken. He says, I'm struck down. We remember in those writings, he'd been beaten with rods, but he's like, I'm not. I'm not destroyed. Paul knew that because of Christ being forsaken, he being in Christ would never be forsaken. J.T. Fitzgerald, guy I was reading through this week, said, viewed as a whole, then, the hardships that Paul lists in his catalog have, as it were, caused cracks in him as an earthen vessel, but the vessel itself remains intact. The vessel is held together by the power of divine adhesive. And the light that shines through these cracks is none other than the light of life of Jesus. As David Garland puts it, we do not have to be wonderful, we have to just be faithful. So you begin to say, well, I face affliction, I face perplexion, I I face persecution, I've been struck down. Well, where did he find this power to, for the but not? Where did he find the power to not be driven to despair, to not be forsaken, to not be destroyed? Verse 10 through 12 drives home where his hope was found. Verse 10 says this. This is where he identifies with Christ Jesus. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. He's identifying with Christ in his death a suffering servant in Paul, identifying with the ultimate suffering servant and Savior in Jesus Christ. He says, always caring in the body 
the death of Jesus. What he's saying here is every day I'm remembering the fact that what I'm suffering through, what I'm hurting with, my Savior carried that upon his shoulders and he died with that upon his shoulders. What I'm experiencing is not something that he left undone. He's saying, I'm carrying in the body the death of Jesus. I'm reminding myself that his death brought death to the death I feel. What does it go on to say? It said, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He's saying, I relate with him in his death so that I may relate with him in his resurrection life. We celebrated it last week. He's, the good news is, is he is still alive today. The word manifested there, he's saying it's made clear, the life of Christ being made clear within my body. The thing with us is many times we want the life of Christ to be manifested in us. I want to live for Jesus. I want to, I want to have him, his life be spewing out from me, but we're not willing to embrace and identify him with him in his death. We're not willing to embrace suffering. We're not willing to embrace hardship. We say, well, I, I don't want to have to go through that. It says in the scriptures, it says, a servant is not greater than his master. Who are we to think that we should not have to suffer? Our Savior, who we follow as disciples, his life on this earth ended in death. So for us to see his life be manifested within us, we have to relate with him in his death. I love, as he continues on, he in a way kind of repeats himself in verse 11. For we who live are always, he keeps using this repetitive sense, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested, that again, made clear in our mortal flesh. And I love verse 12. He goes on and he says, so death is at work in us but life in you. He knows that his ministry will result in more hardship, but will lead to more glorying in Christ Jesus. Through the suffering that he's going through, he knows that Jesus is being magnified. His light is shining through the, uh, through the cracks. You look here on the screen beside the verses, the clay must not dictate the treasure, the treasure must dictate the clay. Far too often for many of us, what it gets down to with this this reality is that our lives are based so much upon our physical experience and so much upon our feelings that before too long, they begin to dictate the way that we view our relationship with God. Because I'm suffering, because I'm dealing with hardship, well then, that must be due to my relationship with God. Or it must be a way that He is viewing me. When the reality is, at the end of the day, it is the treasure that must define the jar, not the other way around. We can't be so obsessed with the physical that we, mess, we miss out on what Christ Jesus has freely given to us. It kind of reminds me of in the mornings. It's when Brittany and I went back home to visit my, my parents last, last weekend, and they live out in the country in the middle of nowhere. And so at night, when you turn the lights off, it is literally dark. <laughs> There's... Here as we live in the city, there's street lights coming in, and I see lights coming in all night, but there, Brittany looked over at me, and she said, it's really dark in here. I was like, we're in the country. <laughs> no city lights. But you think about it, I remember that we woke up the next morning, and what happened is the light 
was shining through the blinds. Shining through the cracks in the blinds. What does that signify? It signified that a new day had come. For us, are we at a point in our walk with the Lord where we truly believe that joy comes with the morning? That it's coming. That it is secure. That what Christ Jesus has made, has accomplished for us and made clear to us, that it's shining through the cracks of our weakness and showing that the glory belongs to him pushes us onward. Second point here is this. We go into verse 13 through 15. We see he finds, he finds these riches amidst the ruins, but it leads to a confidence amidst the chaos. So though he's, he's been pressed and he's been, he's been persecuted and he's been struck down, it did not hold him back from the mission. It says in verse 13, it says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Look here, he's, he's paying reference to the book of Psalms. Psalm 116, verse 10, which is a psalm written by David. And in this verse, David says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. David is saying, even when I was greatly afflicted, I spoke because I still believed. Paul here is, is relating and saying that he's, he's functioning within the same vein as David was here as he says, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. His affliction did not lead to a shrinking away, but a richer boldness and confident proclamation. It says in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring, you, bring us with you into his presence. Consistency and perseverance amidst trial as to the knowledge of the power of the resurrection. What presses us onward? What was it that allowed Paul to continue on in a lifestyle of faith amidst his difficulty? It was that he knew that joy was coming with the morning. He knew the fact that Jesus had rose again. And I love verse 14 because he goes in to the end there and he says, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's thinking in a plurality sense. He's saying, who's he thinking about? He's not just thinking about himself standing before the Lord. He's thinking about these Corinthian believers standing before the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. He knew what they were being confronted with. People saying, well, you've got to be strong, and you have to have had visions, and you have to experience signs and wonders. And, and Paul's like, when we come before the throne of God, it's not going to be based upon what we've done or what we've seen. It's going to be, we're going to be empty-handed and weak. But with the understanding and knowledge of Jesus, you're all I got. And so as he says that, that's powerful. He's like, as I want you, as we, are, we come to the presence of his throne, I want it to be Jesus is all we got, not some falsified personal strength. goes on in verse 15. He says, for it is all for your sakes that his grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He was focused amidst his trials on the others that were around him. He was focused on proclaiming the message of truth. I love you how he says, this was for your sake. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 16, as Paul begins to describe his his interactions with the Lord in his life. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, 
persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, which came, who came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It wasn't about what people saw on him. It was about what people saw in him. He's like, I want to be an example to those that are around me throughout this difficulty I'm going through. I want them to see that God is enough. He is my strength amidst this weakness. You think here, how do we gain application out of this? We can think simply as we grow in the confidence of our deliverance, we will grow in the extension of his grace. As we grow in the confidence of I have been delivered, I have new life within Christ Jesus, what will that lead to? That will lead to us being confident in proclaiming him to others. Oftentimes what keeps us from proclaiming him to others is we are so trapped in our own minds, so consumed with our own difficulties, living in the woe is me persona that we don't get beyond ourselves. And that is exactly what the evil one desires is for us to have our joy be quenched. But the good news my fellow believers, is that we have a joy that is unquenchable and nor should we hide it inside and let it be pressed out. Final point is this. Faith amidst fading. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are uh, unseen are eternal the natural reaction when faced with trial and tribulation is to quickly question and lose heart Paul knew that Paul knew that the people he was writing to were were very frail were, were probably experiencing a lot of ebb and flow within life and he's reminding them and as we face difficulty, as we face trial, as you're brought face to face with your weakness, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, the breaking news for us is we are wasting away. We are fading. We are dying. This fleshly body is not meant to remain but it says that though we are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. We have an entrenched hope. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. We're going to begin looking through 1 Peter next week as Pastor Thurman begins his series. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going through that process of renewal, and what we have at the end is already secured. Secured by Christ Jesus. Verse 17, it's a light momentary affliction preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison something I've tried to preach to myself often over the years is the fact that what I'm experiencing now may seem like it's heavy as lead. It may seem some mornings when I get up as if it's unbearable to deal with. I may feel as if nobody understands me when the reality is nobody may understand me. But I can know the fact that this, for the faithful, for those that are within Christ Jesus, that only lasts a lifetime. 
You say, well, it's only a lifetime. That could be for, that's a long time. What if I deal with it for 60 or 70 years? It's a lifetime compared to the eternal weight of glory, which is forever. <laughs> so it's like now, you think about that balance scale, it's, our hurts may feel heavy, but in the grand scheme for those of us that are in Christ, it's not like they'll be belittled at that point when we are with our Father. They'll be gone. They will have vanished. So that's where, as we go through this, we know that it has nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's a difficult one to grasp. Oftentimes, I mean, every day we're, we're dealing with things that we see, and we see things that shouldn't be, and we feel things that we shouldn't have to feel. But he's saying, don't cling to what is seen, but cling to that which is unseen. For the things that are seen are, are transient. They're fading away. They're temporary. They're for a season. But he says, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Not boxed in, not trapped within limitation or time or feelings held firmly secure within the fullness of time for the faithful. The flesh is quickly fading. Glory is surely gaining. Flesh may be fading away, we know that, but we know that for the faithful, moment by moment, we're getting closer and closer to being in the fullness and the presence of our Father. Now, in conclusion, I was thinking how to, to kind of wrap this up. Um, it's hard to face difficulty. As we mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's hard to face weakness. We read this this morning. We look at what God's Word says. We look at what Paul went through, and we see the hope that he had within Christ. And I wish I could tell you that, yeah, just have faith, and then eventually your life here on this earth will get better. You won't have to deal with hurt anymore can't tell you that. It's not the way it works. And I was thinking yesterday, the, the kingdom's advance may venture through the thick of the gutters and the gullies, but it spills out into glorious grace. We may feel like we're trapped in that loaded up gutter, and you may say, ah, I groan. There's groanings. Paul talks about it in the, in the next chapter, chapter five. He's like, I groan inside but we can know that it spills over into his grace. See here on the, the screen will be our, our final kind of point for this morning. And, and I think here's kind of a good takeaway for us to, to remember as we go from here is the fact that the fight is not based upon our looking wonderful, but upon knowing and showing how he is wonder us. For some of us in the room this morning, we have claimed to be following Christ perhaps for several years. We would say that we know him. We would say that he is supreme within my life. He's all I got. But our life would denote otherwise. Perhaps many of us have been living, spending a lot of time doctoring up our clay jar to make people feel like we're good when in reality what we should have been doing is embracing that we're not good. That the only good that we got is Christ Jesus is Lord, our treasure, our storehouse of all things well. Final verses here is this, and we're going to pray. Paul gets to the end, 2 Corinthians 12. He's talked about this thorn he's had in the flesh. He says, it's too much. God, take it from me. God doesn't take it from him. And he's going to proclaim here the grace that there is found within 
in the Lord Jesus. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The song we sang earlier, your grace is enough for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. The thorns may be cutting deep, but his grace goes deeper still. As we close this morning and we prepare to, to sing our final song here in a, here in a few moments, I, I challenge you to come before the Lord and asking, God, how am I handling weakness? Am I trying to produce? Am I trying to live as if when I get before your throne that I'm going to somehow show you something that has shown that I'm good or that I've fought hard? Or am I just going to empty my hands and finally say, I know I'm suffering. I know life is confusing and I feel perplexed. I feel like I've been done wrong. But I trust that through the storm, you're still enough. I believe it with all that I got. I'm willing to embrace my weakness. The thorns may cut deep, but his grace goes deeper. Still, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Uh, you are faithful, you are just, you're merciful. Lord, we are a room full of weak people. Father, I would guarantee this morning that there's many of us, myself included, that oftentimes are trying as hard as we can to not come across as weak. We're trying as hard as we can to fight our own battles. We feel trapped, overwhelmed, that nobody understands us, and therefore we go around with a woe is me ideal. Or we are broken. We are weak and we look to you as the, the sustainer of life. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We ask this morning that you would guide us in your steps. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.